With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Got into an accident and caught and come to school But when he finally came back his... Alright, welcome to the Elkhart Podcast now on Stitcher Just go into, go into your Stitcher app and t- took up, look up Elkhart don't, don't, go to the, don't go to the music as I was told by Josh Gessman of Corner of the Galaxy I was going back and forth on him on Twitter about a while ago about what different music people use for their podcasts and he's got a brilliant one and he he said he had no he couldn't pick it but he said if you have a yellow carded podcast you should pick yellow card as your po- podcast music but That's I to go, yeah but I decided to go a little bit crazy I mean who else remembers Crash Test Dummies from the 90s so well, I just, anyway, I gonna, just find, well, I just find the chorus ironic after what happened with you and uh, one of our favorite Twitter people, whose name shall remain uh, anonymous, but uh, calling oh, you an MLS bot. Or, yeah, calling you an MLS bot or drone. So I thought that droning sound of the chorus would be kind of a, an answer to that. That was my thought on that. Uh, yeah, I love that. And the fact, the fact that Taco Ted is actually agreeing you, with you now it shows one thing. You've got to get off well, Twitter well, for more actually, than 30 I seconds. Found out that I, well, I found out today, Kirstie, at Taylor 12, and he misinterpreted me. What not, a, not a surprise. He, well, Taylor, well, well, he didn't realize what we were talking about is what happened. Taylor 12 and Alexi Lost are going back and forth about the NCAA and athletes and whether or not they should be paid. And I jumped in. And I tweeted just to both of them, saying that the, what, the players should have the right to use their names for commercial purposes, whether it be doing TV ads, endorsements, uh, what, what have you, that kind of thing, and not rather than getting paid by the school, which is something that if you go re- read with Jake Billis, that's right, he puts it much better than I do. But you know, he, says, you know, he says that you know, the college athlete has a real market value. He should be allowed to take advantage of that. And I, that was my point to Taylor and Alexi. Well, Ted still follows me, and he thought we were talking about MLS. And so he's just jumping in about MLS players not say, thinking MLS players aren't allowed to get endorsements and stuff like that, which is, which is not that Taylor actually had to send me a tweet saying that, that uh, well, he said send it to Ted, saying his name was incorrect, but I was included as well, so I had to go back and look up the trail and find out what was going on. So, so Taylor and Alexi, if you're out there, I apologize for confusing you guys. And uh, we still want you on the show, by the way. But it was, I just find it funny there. For a few, for a few hours, I think, gee whiz, Ted Westerville agreed with me on something. That's what they're just that, that would that would make me get up for that would make me get up from my desk and take a long walk. A long <laughs> walk. Oh man, well, that well, one. I, that, 
that tickles the long One of a few humorous things that came up today, the other one I thought was really kind of funny, and we'll probably talk more about this as the poll the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is running as to what uh, their MLS team should be called. Of course, next Wednesday, uh, the the big press announcement is scheduled to be held. Well, we all know what it is already. They're getting their team. And uh, so they've got a poll here. Uh, they Actually, there's two different polls to go with it. One is where the actual proper name of the team will be, and then what is for what the nickname will be. Uh, the choices for the, the, to the proper name are pretty uninspired. A couple, at least uh, uh, two cases, uh, three cases are repeats. Uh, Atlanta FC, Atlanta United, Real Atlanta, and again, I failed to see where royalty, uh, oh, the fact that Georgia is named for King George III, <laughs> that's the only connection to royalty I can think of with Atlanta, uh, or at, just Atlanta and then FC Atlanta. So you know, I'm not... Nothing much inspiring there, but I thought that a couple interesting on the nickname. One was for the Chiefs, which, of course, the first, the first uh, team they ever had, and uh, later was the inspiration for the club Kaiser Chiefs in South Africa. Uh, the Generals, which uh, yeah, can make some sense, I guess, uh, was a, um, uh, you know, from the, you know, it was a railroad, Atlanta was a big railroad center at one point. The General was a, a very famous uh, locomotive train back in the uh, late 19th, early 20th century. Legion, which I don't think so. The Thrashers, after their long, uh, their not necessarily lamented hockey team that disappeared to Winnipeg a couple of years ago. Um, It's funny because, and I found that rather amusing because we've seen uh, in the case, we've seen uh, Denver in one case, uh, do it in reverse. They used to have an indoor soccer team back in the original MISL called the Denver Avalanche, and they used that name for the for their hockey team when uh, Lenore Deke relocated there. So doing a little uh, stealing in reverse from hockey there. And the other one, on the surface, it makes sense. Phoenix, which, okay, I get it. Atlanta was burned during the Civil War, has risen up from the ashes. I get that part, but there's only one problem with that. What happens if they give a key to Phoenix? This would rival the confusion the Canadian Football League used to have when you had two teams called the Rough Riders, Ottawa and Saskatchewan. So <laughs> on the surface, that name I think would be, could work, but if Phoenix gets a team, then you're, then you're stuck. Well, I don't know if, I don't know if you listen. You, you probably didn't get to listen to the podcast of... Um, Jason's show a couple of days on Monday. They they he had on a bunch of people that were talking about where the next group should go, and they, someone came on and Jason didn't even asked this. Um, this guy lived in Phoenix and was talking about talking about okay, we we get Mexican teams here. We we could we could fill yeah. we could fill some things. He says, but in reality, we have lost so many semi-pro teams. And we yeah. don't draw that it would it would be the biggest joke. Now, what what they didn't want to go for the Atlanta Apollos either. I mean, the, Apollos that could be I'm, interesting. Actually, no, Apollos so, is what Apollos is what Houston's uh, NWSL team should have been called. That would have been perfect. Exactly. No, uh, I, yes, or Mercury. Houston Mercury was another one somebody suggested to me, and I thought that was. 
That was a good idea, too. Here, but here, you make a good point about Phoenix. It kind of leads into what I wanted to say about Atlanta getting a team. And, and Russ, if you're listening, you probably already know what I'm going to say here. But you, you got – it's got to say it would depend on the ownership of Phoenix. But Atlanta – here's the problem I'm having with Atlanta getting a team. You know, Arthur Blank, the man who finds the Home Depot, the owner of the Falcons, he's going to be running this thing. It's, you know, his team, he's using this team as uses to give this potential franchise, which he's now going to get, as part of the push to get a new stadium for the Falcons. They're going to build a new stadium. They're going to build a new stadium. It's going to be open air, but it is going to have turf, which is, a, which is a one issue. But here's the other issue for this. Will this club become New England Revolution South? Is Arthur Blank going to really take this seriously and treat it as, and as, as we see with the, the rest, most of the other MLS clubs, or is this going to be just another case like Bob Kraft with New England Revolution? That's what I'm going to be interested to see, and that's, what I'm, that's my biggest problem I have with this, with this MLS team. Because you have to you have to understand my thinking. I, you know, when I started indoor, in indoor soccer in the mid '90s, I was in the National Professional Soccer League, which played during the winter. Well, 1995, along came a summertime league called the Continental Indoor Soccer League. This is where Dan Cormont got started. He's now the vice president of communications at MLS. But this was his first big gig coming out of the University of Georgia, was getting in as media relations person for this league. And this league was mostly teams run by NBA and NHL teams. Well, combine that with the fact they were playing during the summer. It, just didn't, it didn't last very long. And most of these teams, the, the, it just wasn't taken seriously by, by management. It was a summertime play thing. You know, train a few interns. Uh, you know, use the same staff you've already got in place. You don't have to put a whole lot of money into it. Tie in, in at least one case in Detroit, t- season tickets to the Pistons and the, the Vipers, who were then in existence in the old International Hockey League, were, in, were tied to getting tickets for this team in Detroit. It just didn't go very well. And this is what we've, you know, we've seen this with the Crafts in New England. They treat this as a casual play thing. And I'm just afraid that this will be the same thing in Atlanta, that Arthur Blank is just going to be content to throw him in his football stadium, so it doesn't cost anything, doesn't have to buy and build his own stadium, uh, you know, play on turf, and just isn't going to be that into it. And that's, that's my biggest fear with this Atlantic. And, I, and the other thing that Russ has talked about is in terms of the media. You know, this team, you've got three of the four major sports down there, plus you also have the monster known as college football because you've got both Georgia Tech right there and Georgia just down the road in Athens. The media, it's going to be a tough, this is going to be a tough barrier to break through with the media, just as we've seen with the revolution up in, in the greater Boston area. So there's, to me, there's two major issues here that are going to have to be addressed one way or the other for, uh, for Atlanta's team, which, uh, as he said, is going to be announced next week. I have I have no I have no problem with them having a team. I just I hope one of three things doesn't happen. And this one of them's a fad that I that's coming out of me is going to surprise you, Keith. Is that they don't go with this with the Atlanta Chiefs or go do the let's reach back to the NASL type thing like we see Tulsa come back. And all these various other teams going with the old NASL teams, that, and I, I, I don't, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think, 
I don't think Don Garber wants to put in another team that will be an eyesore like the like the originals. I mean, we still have the MLS because the Crafts basically bailed out the league and ran yeah. ran it. So I literally. We we have to give Kraft some due. Arthur Blank is yes. a very smart man. Arthur Blank oh, is really? a very smart man. Now, I mean, yeah, he's he's running a, he's running an NFL team. So let's be honest, that really hasn't mattered that much in its in its life. I mean, it's really never been. You can extend that to all the teams in Atlanta. Now, admittedly, part of the problem with the Thrashers is yet ownership. That, again, they did that really mismanaged that whole thing from the beginning. But you look yeah. at the record of all the teams, okay, especially in terms of attendance, even the Braves. You look at, I remember Jeff Foxman, the comedian, had a great line in his routine about how we were in the late 80s. He'd be going to Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, and there'd be a few thousand people. And I laugh because I can relate because I had the same thing in Cleveland with the Indians in the 70s and 80s. And he said, also, 1991 happens, and they started this great run. And he's like, where'd all these people come from? But you start looking after like 1995 or so, what happened? Even playoff games weren't selling out, the first, especially in the first round when they had the, you know, the, the division series. They weren't selling out. And this was one of the great – I mean, yeah, they only won that one World Series in that 14-year stretch, but they won the division 14 straight times. They went to the World Series a few times. That was one of the great teams in terms of sustained, sustained regular season excellence, major league baseball to see. But come playoffs, they still weren't filling the place. You know, the Falcons, admittedly, the Falcons have been lousy for the most part since they came into existence. I remember when the uh, when the first Silverbacks team came into existence, I think it was the first Silverbacks, they put up billboards around town, and it had a big soccer ball on it, but it said, finally, Atlanta has a professional football team. And this is when the Falcons were terrible. And apparently, somebody from the Falcons called the office and complained about it, and say, you know, your, your billboard is insulting. And the person, the other responded with, you've been insulting me with your lofty football team for 20 years. So, but the Hawks, it's been up and down. They've never been to the NBA Finals. This is a town, it's a bit like Miami. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of things to do. It's, 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 I think the soccer fan base is growing. We've seen the Silverbacks have uh, do okay down there in its latest reincarnation in the NASL. You know, yeah, but they're a joke. I'm sorry. They're a joke, Keith. I mean, but to be honest, their manager is sitting in Germany right now. What is he going to do for What is he going to do for the match on Sunday? Is he just going to pull up his phone and Skype in? I mean, maybe. They're, they're, they're a damn joke. Hey, if Alan Pardew can call down from the stands to his uh, number two guy down on the bench during a game when he's sitting on a touchline band, why not? You know, let's take this thing down to the liquor. But, to, but here's another one that, that I wrote from, from the article that we talked about a couple weeks ago in terms of the revolution. And turned, this was referring to you're building a new stadium. One of the things that mentioned in that article was that increasingly – the MLS crowd is becoming an urban hipster crowd. Now, I'm not exactly sure what a hipster is. All I know for sure is if it includes the word hip, it probably means I'm not in the category. But number two, number two here's a, this, this new stadium that, 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 the, that Mr. Blank is going to build on top of Falcons and the MLS team, it's supposed to be ready in 2017. And this is going to be a downtown stadium, not, I guess not too far from the Georgia Dome. But 
you look, but increasingly, you know, Atlanta's got a lot of suburban area, and we're going to see the Braves in a few years down the line are going to be moving out to a new ballpark in the suburbs too. You know, do they? Does you know, does Atlanta have the urban type crowd that we're seeing in other places in MLS to support the team? It's that that's going to be that's going to be an interesting question because a lot of people say you know why you know Atlanta you should definitely blink on the suburbs they had a lot of burgeoning uh, affluent suburbs out there so you know, the, the the pro sports fan base in Atlanta is a tough sell because it, it in a way it's a little bit like Miami there's a lot of things going on down there and it's can they you know can they make this work especially if Again, if the, if the team is seen as being run as, as a sidelight by, by, for, uh, to the Falcons. Well, yeah, and I mean, we're going to have that problem. The, the other thing I want to bring up, at, at the bottom of next hour, we have someone I've wanted to have on for a while. He, he's ran a book, and I know this is going to needle Keith a little bit, but he, it's um, part of Cash Niner. He's written a book, um, Blue with Envy, talked about, Supporting supporting an EPL team, well, then it wasn't, but supporting a team coming through the the 80s and 90s and be, being a fan of the sport before it was cool. Now, I unfortunately don't really get that because when I by the time I got into really watching soccer, we could see we had something Al Gore had invented the internet, so I can. I can attest to that. So he's coming up at the bottom of next hour. Um, I also want. I also want. I, I don't know. Are you going to take a creative walk tomorrow during the um, during the Champions Leagues to watch to watch your man you pull off the upset? I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to, but I I don't know if my uh, if my phone has that kind of capability. I've never I've never tried that sort of thing. I'm, I've tried to. The closest I've come to doing is watching a couple of. Um, videos on YouTube, that's about it. I haven't tried to watch anything live like that, so I have to, uh, that would be, that could be an experiment in futility. You, you don't have the Talk Sport app? No, I don't. To get the Talk Sport the, app, you is can that, listen to it. Is, is that on Google Play, I hope? <laughs> it's on everything, because I have it on a Windows okay. phone. Okay. It's yeah, on, I, you can I, an, I have an Android, so. Yeah, you can. You can. You can. It's on everything because uh, I have a friend that's got it on a uh, um, iPhone. Um, you can listen to any match, any any. Well, oh. it's right now. It's any um, EPL match. I, I would be. I'm pretty sure you can watch. I'm pretty sure you can listen to the um, Man U match yesterday. But yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. I could figure it out while that, listening to it. Was it, is that? I mean, were you surprised with that score last week? Oh, hugely surprised! Hugely surprised! And you know, we had talked about it uh, last week as far as what happened from then. But yeah, that was an enormous surprise, especially getting the lead. I mean, they were outplayed in the first half clearly, and to be able to keep it nil-nil and get that goal, opening goal from Nevania Vidic, uh, you know, obviously you would like to have kept it one-nil, but still to a one-one draw gives you a fighting chance in Munich. Uh, it's obviously a goal is needed somehow, some way. Uh, so you certainly, it's not like you can, they, it's not like Manchester United can park the bus for 90 minutes. That's not an option. They have, they have to go out and get that goal because they, they you know, because of uh, Bayern Munich getting the away goal. It's, it's going to be a difficult fight. I really don't see it happen. I, I see 2-1 to Bayern, honestly, uh, in a purely objective uh, sense of all, because 
because as we talked about last week, you know, Bayern can put all their eggs in their Champions League basket now. You know, they've won the Bundesliga. It's over with. They, they, can, you know, they can put it all here uh, on the Champions League, whereas um, he's on, for Manchester United, David Moyes had choices to make, and we saw what he did this past weekend. You know, he sat a lot of people, according to Wayne Rudy's case, out of necessity, but he made a lot of changes, and he got the win, which is great, because now, now the reports are that Wayne Rudy trained today, and uh, Byron's coach, Pep Guardiola, fully expects Wayne Rudy to play, although I don't believe it's been announced officially if he's going to, but uh, you're certainly looking at uh, a Man U team that, uh, that was they were able to rest some regular players if they get Rudy back in there. Uh, it's a team that, you know, if they play like they did in the first match, are capable. I just, I just don't see it happen. I think Byron understand that maybe they got caught. I don't know if it was if they got caught. They just uh, just got frustrated by not being able to take advantage of the, the superior play in the first half last week or what. But I, th- I think you're going to see a Byron team that's going to come out strong from the beginning, try to get an early goal and put this thing to bed. I think the longer it goes goalless, the better it is for Manchester United. The, the problem is that sooner or later they're going to have to come out and try to get that goal. So maybe maybe the tactics will be, okay, let's do what we did last week. Frustrate them in the first half, turn them away, keep it at nil-nil, and see if we can get something maybe in the first five to ten minutes of the second half. But, but for a purely objective standpoint, I see it as Byron 2-1. I, I got a question for you, Keith. Do you have a yeah. Do you have ESP with this next guy? Hey, how you? How, how's it going, Russ? It's going well, Stephen. No, I don't have ESP. I just figured he'd be listening. Were you? <laughs> I was listening, and uh, and honestly, the, what got me to call now, and uh, I had a few minutes, was uh, you guys were talking about Atlanta, and I've got some strong views about this, so I thought I would chime in. Fire away. I think it's a terrible idea. I think it's a horrible idea, actually. Now, are you thinking? Are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? If you heard me I'm, talk about I'm thinking, it, I'm I, thinking NHL expansion in in uh, in Florida and in Atlanta. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking well, well, going to Sun Belt states, well, and it didn't I, work. I made, well, the thing I made the point about the Thrashers is the fact that the the Atlanta Spear, which was the parent company with the Hawks and the Thrashers, really mismanaged that hockey club. Something awful. They really did. My point was with Atlanta, the, the fear I have. And this relates to, to you directly, which is why I brought you up early. Yep. Is I, my fear is this because the NFL team is running it. My fear is this is going to become New England Revolution South. Well, it could, it could. You, that's you my, know, again, I, I don't know how Arthur Blank w- would view it, but uh, but that's the issue that you could have because again, when you have when you have an owner that has different interests, you know, and again, it's a little bit different. It's funny because Stephen, you'll attest to this, Liverpool doesn't have this issue with John Henry. He owns the Red Sox, oh, and, and he owns he Liverpool, like but they don't have this seven? issue. They don't have this issue at all, but, but the Patriots and the Revolution have it. And uh, it's possible, again, that Arthur Blank, you know, again, uh, uh, unless you're passionate about both, then I don't know if I would do it. Plus, I just don't think Atlanta is a good sports town. And, and listen, I have... I know many people down there that, that, are, that are passionate fans, but I'm talking about overall, I don't think this is a really good professional sports town. It's a great college area. I just, I wouldn't do it. I, 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 would, go, I would go to Minneapolis. I would go to St. Louis. 
where where soccer well, is really important, and yeah, that's well, where I would one, go. St. Louis only has one problem, and that's the lack of a guy with a zillion dollars to pony right. up for the franchise. That's the, they've got everything else they need. You know, Minneapolis, they've got the guy with the money. My understanding is Ziggy Wilf is part of the deal to get his new stadium for the Vikings with he gets the rights to an MLS team up there. And so you could – this could be another – that's what I've read. I'm not 100% sure that's, that's true, but I've read that. So I've read that. Yeah, uh, and well, well, what's, uh, what's what St. Louis needs is Twel- Tyler Twelman. Yeah, Taylor Twelman had the kind of money that um, Stan Kroenke has. This would have been a done deal five years ago. Right. There's no question well, I, about no, it at Think all. of it this way. Think of it this way, and I'm going to be kind of tongue-in-cheek in this. Uh, Beckham weaseled his way into it by getting that, by getting that MLS contract when he came right. over. And we, we, all got, we all got him in here because he – He's dreamy. Well, let's think of it this way. Well, what does St. Louis need to get to get the sweetheart deal in? They need either Joey Barton to come over, they need um, <laughs> Paul Gascon, or they no. need Tyler Twilman's no, family. No, none of them are And this is not a swipe at any of those guys, especially the Twilman family. You get this. I remember when Tim was playing. I saw him play a number of times in the mid-1980s in the original major in our soccer league. First, first thing you have to understand, I've said this before in the show, what MLS did to bring in David Beckham as a player was absolutely the best thing the league has done. And I think it's a very, if I were sitting in Don Garber's chair, I'd have given him the exact same ownership deal he got. I'd have done this because having him around, David Beckham, everybody forgets this, David Beckham is not a former soccer player, okay? He is a worldwide celebrity. You can't. He has a celebrity status that a player on the planet can match that is playing today. The only like the only player in exi- who could ever match it would be Pelé. Uh, it's that it's that simple. David Be- what David Beckham brought it had nothing to do with soccer really, ter- especially whether it be as a player or as an owner. It was not just a, it was more about his star power and that name value and that celebrity cachet. That's what they're trying to use here with him as an owner because they know they know for well he's not his money. He'll put up a he'll put up a few quid here or there. That's about it. It's you know it's Marcelo Clare, the Colum- I believe he's Colombian or Venezuelan who's going to be behind most of this. It's why you've heard the talk about um, the Dolphins owner maybe getting in on it as well. He's not the money. He's the face of this whole thing is what it is. And, they, and MLS knows this, and they realize he's got, to, he's got to be, like, this is where solemnity stands, because he's got to be the one to sell it, whether it be to get the stadium built, to bring the players in, wherever. He's been down in Florida. He's been schmoozing all the politicians. There have been selfies all over the place coming out of both Miami-Dade County as well as Tallahassee, the state legislature, that he's got that name value, that star power that makes people go googly-eyed. And that's why, that's why he, the, the, the 12th cannot do that. You know, again, I know Taylor, Taylor's an important figure in the game. He's, you know, he, he's, he's done wonderful things in the game, both as a player as well as the commentator and his advocacy regarding concussion issues. But he, he is not going to be able to attract the kind of attention 
to an MLS team in St. Louis that Beckham is bringing to the team of Miami. I guess you know, St. Louis, if Taylor Swan were to be involved in such a thing, it'd be great. I'm sure he would if he were given the opportunity. But what they need is for Stan Kroenke to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put up the money, and I'm going to make this team happen here. Because right now, as far as I know, he's the only guy in St. Louis who has the kind of money who would be willing to do that sort of thing. And that's the, that's the only thing St. Louis needs is the money man. That's what they've got everything else that they need. This, you, you, know, you know, as you said, Russ, that fan base is there. It's rabid. It's passionate. Yep. And they'll show up without yep. question. You, and it, it, as I said, and you, yeah, you, and you echoed it, in Atlanta, who knows? Yeah, well, well listen, listen, I know that there, you know, again, Fulham have some supporters in Atlanta, so, so I don't want to slam all people there, but I'm just saying the area in general, there are soccer fans there. I'm not saying that, that they're not, but, but if you're looking yeah. overall – Compared to say, I'm just comparing it to other places. If you compare it yeah. to you know to other places in the Midwest and Keith, I, I'm telling you, what is frustrating me is is they're building MLS, but they're forgetting they're forgetting a good portion of the country. You know, again, you have Kansas City, you have Columbus, but why not why not another team in the Midwest? You know, that's yeah, the part yeah, of this it, that, again, that it, I don't it, understand. Why are no, you focusing so much on on the South? Yeah, I understand it very well. It, it's the, the understanding is very simple. It's what it's what it's what Deep Throat told Bob Woodward during Watergate. Follow the money. That's what MLS yeah. is doing. They what do you you have the money? We'll put the team wherever you want it. You know, it, it's it's this because you know, this is a professional league that that can pick and choose wherever they want to go. This isn't like the NCAA with their conference realignments where you try to pick off somebody else's schools. Because you want all those TV eyeballs in your conference rather than somebody else's. You've got your choice. You're the one who decides where you're going to go in this matter. And therefore, you know, whoever has the money, it's Murphy's gold rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And whoever has the money decides where they want to put that team. Whether or not it's a good soccer market isn't necessarily the point. Yeah, no, I hear you. And that's, you know, and again, that's the unfortunate part of this. And you bring up, like, you know, again, Arthur Blank has more money than he knows what to do with. And I understand, understand why he would want something. And, I've, and I saw the plans for the stadium, and I, and I get all that. I'm just, yeah, thinking, is, I'm just clearly, thinking, is there interest for it? That's all. Well, yeah, because this was clearly, from the beginning, a tactic designed to help yoga. I'm, I'm not sure what the deal is as far as any tax money is concerned going to that stadium, but... The simple fact is, a, a football stadium, as, as far as the public is concerned, it's a hard sell when you're talking a maximum of ten days of use per year. Right. And obviously, with the Georgia Dome, it's a little bit different because it's a dome you can do other things there. And obviously, they get a lot of other things in there. You know, the, the the SEC has their football and basketball tournaments there every year, which mystifies me because the city is home to an ACC school. But that's another argument altogether. <laughs> but but this is going but this is going to be an outdoor stadium. This is going to be open air. Yeah. So you so you know, Mr. Blank was able to go to whoever was uh, you know he had to pitch this to in government or public where say hey it's not just going to be for our football team we got this MLS team and they're going to play nineteen twenty games a year plus <laughs> we can bring in some international exhibitions as well we're going to get yeah. more use out that's a little bit easier sell uh, even if you're not looking for tax money certainly uh, it's it, you've got to be able to say. This is not just for 10 days a year, and I'm sure that was part of the tactic Mr. Blank had in mind. Like I said, it's just a question of, is he going to take this seriously? And, that, and like I said, who, who knows without being able to actually talk to him 
you know, directly, I don't know what to, and even if he, if he do, will he deliver on what he says? And, you know, certainly the, the crafts, as you pointed out, they came in gung-ho and they were a very important part of this league in the first few years and kept it going when they, when they were needed. But once it was up and running and got rolling, Mr. Kraft basically felt like, okay, I, I can pretty much hit the silk at this point and let my kid run it. Yeah, and, and, and Jonathan is running it. Jonathan, I guess you could say, is the face of the revolution. Um, you know, and again, he pops up every once in a while. I'm, you'll see him supposedly. He, there's, part of, there's part of your problem right there. What? You know, if, if the kid running the show is the face of the franchise, well, I was watching. I was watching the Cubs the other day, and they, it was the hundredth anniversary of Wrigley Field, and they had George Will, the political commentator, on. He had one of the best lines ever about professional sports. No one ever buys a ticket to see an owner. Okay? No, it's true. If the guy it, running it is the face of the franchise, that's a problem. Well, no, because listen. It's, it's better well, be one of your players. No, right, right, right. Well, well, again, Keith, you know, I, you're I, in Columbus. I you say, believe me, right? you're. You're in Columbus. You understand this, and 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 I'm just telling you that you know. Again, this is the situation with the revolution is not just about the revolution. It's also about about the media here, and uh, they don't. You That's know, another point I brought up too, because you know, I've heard the, that part. The media here is a major issue here. I've said this. The good, you know, a good positive, and I want to give him a plug. Tom Quinlan actually started on on uh, on fifteen ten Yahoo Sports Boston. From noon to one on Saturdays, um, not the very first, but but currently the only soccer-only show live on terrestrial radio in the Boston area just started. Are most of the soccer shows on terrestrial radio on Yahoo? Glenn Davis's shows are both on Yahoo. I think the one... I think one of the Seattle ones is, and um, well, tw- seven fifty the game. To Yahoo? Is, <laughs> well, we are a bunch of Yahoos, so. No, well, anyway, yeah, that, sure. that's the pitch. We're Yahoos. We should be on Yahoo. There's your pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, with this the last thing before we go move on with this Atlanta thing, shouldn't the MLS also be trying to secure rights in Winnipeg? And, Winnipeg and Calvary. Yeah, you 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 saw my tweet about that. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said I said that to I said that to Jason. I said that to Jason and Jared uh, Jared Dubois last night too. Um, uh, yeah, and when I when you, I saw you tweet about that, I had to jump in with the reference to Calgary, which is where the first team went. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because I think I think Jason's lived all over the country because he says it all the time. But I, I I had I had to drop that in there. For that, um, I was surprised by this. I know Keith, you were because you you woke up to this, and I don't know how much you followed the women's game, Russ. But the coach got eighteen months to do what? Lose four games? I mean, what what do we take out of the women the women firing their coach and making Jill Ellis the coach again? Hmm. Oh, um, I, 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 guys, I'll be right back for just a second. Sorry. Yeah, this is, this is, it was a total stunner. A lot of people were surprised by this. And it's funny because I'm reading, you're reading a couple different uh, things here. Um, 
in terms of that. Uh, Julie Foudy had a very good column uh, on it on ESPNW. Uh, certainly, Sir Thomas Romani did not see it coming, and um, as to the, as the play as to the players, and it's funny because one of the things that she talks about in her column is, is the style, the contrast in style. You know, Pia Sudhag was very you know hard on the players, very driven, whereas Sumani a little more a little more casual, which is which is kind of funny because I'm going back. I found a, a, an article uh, from uh, Goal.com, an interview with Hope Solo, who says one of the things he li- she liked about him was his his communication skills. He's a much better communicator. He said, she even said, I'm quoting here. With Pia, you always guessed what she was thinking uh, as a player. Socially, she was not the best. It wasn't the direct communication that the players need, especially mature, older players. So I'm hearing a couple of different things. That have, certainly, there's been some speculation as to for what kind of role the players had in this. And Sunil Gelati admitted that in ta- when, they, uh, when they make changes in his statement yesterday, say that uh, you know, we <clears> thought, what, we, 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 he says, I'm quoting here, and whenever we have directional changes, we talk to players, we talk to tax staff, we talk to people who observe the team. So, obviously, there's, there's some strong-willed people on this team, whether it be a Sidney LaRue, a Hope Solo, Amy Wambach, or whatever. But, uh, you know, Gelati's statement was rather Belichick-esque uh, in, some, in some ways. Uh, but uh, I, it's, just, it, it's just such a stunning move. And I'm get the only thing. I'm guessing that um, they obviously did not talk to Monica Gonzalez, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago, and we asked her about the, the Algarve Cup, which seems to have been the tipping point for all this for some unknown reason. Why it happened three weeks later is beyond me. But you know, Monica basically said, "Hey, aberration, bump in the road, not that big a deal." But apparently, that's not the, the case. And um, one of the things that Julie Foley brings up is that if the, the if Sermani's style of doing this was a problem, why wasn't this brought up even before the Algarve Cup? And she says her sources said they never, they didn't have, to, didn't seem to bring up the issue of his style of coaching on a, on a very very often uh, during his time in charge. And so this is, I'm guessing the only thing I could think of is the reason for this is. Better to do this now rather than wait until World Cup qualifying starts and get into a hole. Because if you remember, qualifying for 2011, they had to go to a playoff and win in the last playoff match to even qualify for the 2011 World Cup. They're clearly thinking, we don't want to be in that situation again, at least as far from what I'm seeing. That's the thinking. And, um, and, you know, and she does talk about you know, Jillian Ellis possibly being one of the permanent uh, replacement candidates along with uh, Randy Waldrum, who's at Houston Dash, used to coach at Notre Dame, and has basically all but put up, flown banners over U.S. Women's National Team games saying, I want to coach this team, uh, as well as uh, another one that this year is Tony Gustafsson, who coaches for uh, Tyreso in Sweden, which is in huge financial uh, dire straits right now, might even be going into bankruptcy. And she thinks he's the, the, the favorite as far as a permanent replacement is concerned, but like I said, I'm thinking. My thinking is, they're doing this now to avoid having to play catch up in the World Cup qualifying because they, 
let's say qualifying for the World Cup is always important, but especially this time because you got a lot of players like Hopsall and others who are getting close to the end of the career. And it's in Canada, which means you're going to get a lot more media attention than you would if it were, say, in China or Germany. So it's, I think this is aimed at World Cup qualifying and making sure they get somebody who will get them through a lot easier than they did in 2011. Yeah, I mean, and Galani said in that press conference, and I was kind of tweeting back and forth, um, a local media member here in town, about that that Sermani wasn't the fir- first choice. I mean... How do you even make them not the first choice with a team like that? I mean, you would think with them that being the women's team that they could basically pick and choose and, and get people. I mean, Paul Riley. Yeah, Paul Riley's out there. Team. Yeah, because you've got you've got a team that basically you have you clearly have the best available players at your disposal whenever you want, and you've got a team that is from still for the most part, excuse me, it's still for the most part athletically superior to the rest of the world. The rest of the world is catching up in terms of athleticism and tactics and things like that, but still, if you just go on pure athletic ability, the U.S. US women's team still has, has it hands down. Yeah. See, why, why, any, why anybody would hesitate to think about taking this job is, is, is mystifying. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a surprise to me. I mean, obviously it hits it hits home here living in um, New York because Abby li- Abby actually lives in Rochester. So I mean, we get we get it right away as soon as, as soon as anything happens to the women's team, we hear it. I'm I'm actually surprised they don't have their home base out of here while while she's part of the team. But I mean, that, that I mean, the timing of it and what you both you both are been writers far longer than I have. They threw that out there on Sunday night, final four weekend, opening weekend of baseball, and just threw it out there after a game. Wouldn't that be a red flag for any other for any other coach? That oh, they get rid of you after a game, and they don't wait. To, they don't wait until Monday morning to cool their jets. On this. Yeah, I, I find I find the timing of it very very strange, and uh, certainly uh, one of the things. Yeah, you know, Sunil Jalati points says one of the things he was he was asked about is uh, were there problems beforehand or did this all come to a head at the Algarve Cup? And he said, "quote There has been a longer period than just the Algarve Cup." Unquote. Um, and so. Something was going on. Uh, you know, there, there are a few people speculating on Twitter as to what role the players did have in this. Uh, I said, July, admit they talked to players about these things, and I, you know, to a certain extent, that's not a bad idea because they're the ones that take charge. But the question is, are you know, do certain players have a certain amount of power uh, in this kind of thing? Um, who knows? Without being inside of every, without being inside of all that. It, it, but the t- yeah, the timing on that seemed rather strange. I think it, 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 certainly on the surface you would look at it and say, hey, you know, they're they're trying to see if maybe they can not draw a lot of attention to themselves because of when they were doing it. You know, with the final, as you said, the final four and the opening of the baseball season going on at the same time. They, you know, I I don't know. I can only see. We can only speculate. Yes, you know, conspiracy theorists might say, oh, yeah, they were trying to hide it. But 
but let's face it, to sack him, it would have been big news no matter when they did. They could have put the, the release out 3 o'clock Sunday morning. It would have been big news eventually because to, to sack him after a year and a half into a four-year contract where really the only problem was a, a, a not very good performance at a, at a tournament, which is always a crapshoot anyway, it, it's, there's a lot more questions out there than answers, and certainly you're not going to... You're not you're not going to get anything more more than the usual uh, PR stuff out of U.S. soccer uh, as well as the players. So we can again without having like I like I tell people we're not journalists we're pundits okay we're not out there investigating this stuff asking all these questions and things like that we can only go by stuff that we see and read the tea leaves from there. This makes next week really interesting, by the way. Uh, well, I can Ooh. I can assure you if I if. I haven't gotten any emails yet, but I'm. I can. I think I can safely say I'm going to get one saying, uh, "Don't bring this up." Uh, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I saw that, that come across. I, I was like, "Crap!" Yeah, that was my that was my first thought too. The by, by the for those of you who are talking about next Tuesday, Carly Lloyd of the U.S. national team is scheduled to be on the show in the last half hour. Um, so I'm, but I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm guessing I'm going to see something from uh, Laura between now and then, saying uh, this is not to be talked about. Yeah, and I, I was out when I, because my dad, I, w- I was at home with my dad for a month and a half, and when we all saw this, he looked at me going, "You're not going to get her now." I'm like, "Ah, oh, crap," because we, we were we were listening and That's thinking about this. My, that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me either if they got put off again. I, I would be it would be a huge surprise. But you know, this this uh, you know sometimes we sometimes we have to go by their rules. Anybody who's ever been a journalist or columnist or whatever, they're going to tell you they run into this stuff with with athletes all the time when they've got people who work for them. These are the, some of the hoops you have to jump through. And I'm not going to be grudge anybody or criticize anybody. I'm just my point is this is what we have to do. This is what we have to deal with. And we'll do it as best we can. If uh, if they do agree, great. If if not, well, you know, we'll just move on and uh, you know, no hard feelings one way or the other. Again, we're, like I said, we're not journalists. That's that's the big thing. And I I made that clear to Laura that this is just you know independent fans running an independent podcast talking about the game in whatever form we we want to talk about it, and we certainly want to talk about the women's game more. And you know, this is. This is part of the deal. You know, women's sports have uh, there's there's a lot more emphasis and importance and pressure on it than there were even say 20 years ago. Whether it be soccer, whether it be college basketball, or whatever. And this is part of the deal. This this is this is the way we're paying. more people are paying attention. You know, this this is some of the these are some of the things that have to be be dealt with. Whether it be players, coaches, administrators, or whoever the case may be. So you know this is you know, obviously I I don't want to. I'm not going to put anybody in a situation they feel uncomfortable in or, or anything like that. So I don't. I'm not here to embarrass anybody uh, in terms of questions. We don't. We, you know, geez, we don't have to worry about. It. We don't have to do that because there's enough. There's enough damn journalists out there that will do that. That we, we can. Yeah, let, I'll, let the, we can I'll let the. I'll let the. Yeah, I'll let the professionals like Grant Wall and those guys handle that sort of thing. That's that's what they're I, trained I don't, for. I don't that's think what they do. That's what they get paid for. Yeah, I, you know, I, after watching watching Grant Wall on Twitter and watching him for a while, he seems to be. I, I don't know, Russ. You, you don't know Grant Wall, do you? No, I don't. I don't. Okay, I, I, I for some reason had a 
kind of thought that you knew him or Alexi for some reason, but um, no, no, I, no. Like I said, the you know, I've been on, I've been on. Well, you know, I've been on, I've been on Jason's show, uh, but no, I'm not. I don't, I don't know uh, Grant Wall. Uh, the other people that that I do know that that are journalists, I, I can I can throw my one of my co-hosts in there, um, um, Kyle Bond from Pro Soccer Talk is you know obviously uh, obviously know him because he's my original co-host on on Cottage Talk and then then of course I I do know Steve Davis who also writes for Pro Soccer Talk as well. Those are the those are the journalists that, that I know. Grant seems like Grant seems like a really good funny dude. I mean. But when he starts trolling Alexi Wallace, it's actually quite comical. But anyway, um, that, that 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 was that was funny. But the whole soccer sign thing, Grant Wall, Grant Wall going after him about that. Um, there's something that came up, and I know I'm blindsiding you both on this. Um, Josie Altidore got dropped yesterday. Um, yes, he did. Now I, I now I'm sure I'm sure I already know this. But, um. You would, Rush, you would take him at Fulham in a heartbeat. He's a striker. Well, well, it's funny because a few years ago, I definitely would have taken him at, at, at Fulham. And, and and it's funny with the with the new manager. You know, I mean, it's a possibility. You know, that um, his skill set could fit in at Fulham. I, I would say under Mardiol, no. Under Felix McGath, yes. I mean, uh, you know, again, he he's a target man, and. Uh, Fulham are going away from that, but it, but I don't think that that McGath is going away from that. So so uh, if, if you're asking me, I would certainly take a shot at uh, at Josie Altidore because I know he can score goals, but I think he's in a very bad situation. He has not scored at Sunderland, and it looks bad because he he couldn't score at Hull, he couldn't score at Sunderland, but he, but he did he did well in the Dutch league, and that's great. But this is a different level. So is it is it Josie? Or is it, or is it actually the league? Meaning that, meaning that uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry. Is it the teams that he's playing for, or is it actually that he cannot score in this league? I, I should really say. Is it more about the teams, or is it more about Josie Altidore? I, I don't know. It's it's a good and question. I, mean, that, that, I, I I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him w- with a different club that actually would would feature him, you know, on, on a consistent basis and and see how he does there. But but it certainly hasn't worked at Sunderland. But but if you're asking me, would I, you know, would I take him on Fulham with the current manager? I would definitely take a shot on uh, on Josie Altidore and, and see if he could do it for us. Yeah. If we, had, you know, again we have Hugo Rodriguez. If we're gonna have Hugo Rodriguez, we can have Josie Altidore. And Hugo Rodriguez is actually. <laughs> Playing fairly no, Hugo Rodriguez actually playing fairly well. If we can have Hugo Rodriguez, we can certainly have. And, and this is no disrespect to Hugo because he's actually playing very well. I'm just saying, to me, I see Hugo and, and, and Josie on similar scales. You know, again, I have you know, I'm not against bringing in someone, someone like Josie Altidore. At this point, I would take Josie Altidore over our 12 million pound striker who, who can't who can't get on the pitch right now. Uh, my my wondering is what what do we do with him? I mean, do we we've already had to write off this season? I mean, he's going to, he's going to go he's on the plane to Brazil anyway because there's a real dearth of strikers. What do oh, you yeah. do with Selmer? Does it does he come I back don't know. to like the, to, to New Jersey Red Bull? I mean, and who even has his rights? I mean, does he have to go through the does he have to go through the allocation process or is um I'm, 
Don Garber going to strong arm him to Toronto? It's a great, you know, listen, it's a great question. If I was him, I think I'd come back. Because, because if you look at, you know, if you look at the players that have come back lately, I think he could have a, you know, have a very successful career if he came back. And then eventually maybe take, maybe go back again to England one more time. He probably wants to right the wrongs, but, but right now, again, if you look at the clubs he's been with, Hull, and, and now it's Sunderland, unfortunately, both in situations, you know, near the bottom of the table at the time. And uh, it just, you know, again, it just hasn't worked. Every time I've watched him play for Sunderland, you know, I, again, it kind of brings me back to when he was in Hull. And, and, and that's why I keep weighing back and forth, Stephen. Is it Josie Altador or is it that he, or is it the teams that he's playing for? I just, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's a great question because, again, there are, you know, listen, there is proof that that uh, that players can succeed. Look at Jeff Cameron right now at Stoke. Look, look at Clint Dempsey. I mean, I mean, there are American players that do succeed in in the Barclays Premier League. I mean, I mean, come on, we can go back. We can talk about Brian McBride. I mean, you know, and all the goalkeepers, Tim Howard. So I would like to see him try to succeed, but maybe at this point, it might be in his best interest to come back, come back to MLS. Yeah. Yeah, if it was, if no, it was our, any other year, if it was any other year, yeah, try to make it a go in England, get transferred maybe to another club. Because I, th- I think he'd be better off, at, even at a club like Fulham, let alone what he's dealing with the Sunderland. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, obviously well, at Hall City. But the thing is, this being a World Cup year, yeah, you know, he's got he's got to get at least some first team playing time between now and before he gets on that plane to Brazil. So, yeah, any other year, I'd say, no, stay over there, try to get to another club, whatever case. But this, in this case, yeah, he's got to find his way back into MLS, either a short-term deal. He definitely should. Yeah, it's a tough – listen, it's a tough situation. You know, again, I'm, I'm dealing, dealing with a club fighting for relegation, so I understand what's going on there at Sunderland. I don't – you know, again, I, I don't get why he's not playing, but – but uh, you know, then you know, then I can on the flip side look at what's been going on at my club. You know, you're trying to find someone that could score goals, and if someone's not scoring goals, guess what? He's not playing. So then you got to find the next guy, and that's kind of what's happened with Fulham. All of a sudden, Hugo Rodriguez scores a big goal. I mean, it, it, that's that's what happens when you're at the bottom. I mean, you, you're you're grasping at straws. You're trying to find ways. So so I understand both perspectives because again, I understand why Sunderland probably aren't playing him. He's not scoring goals. But I, I, I understand frustrations of, of uh, fans of the uh, U.S. men's national team because you want them to play because it's going to help, help, uh, help for the World Cup. So it's a, really, it, it's a really bad situation for him personally. It really is. It, it's tough because, because I don't know how many more games he's going to get with, uh, with Sunderland. They've got about what? I think they have about seven matches left. And uh, hopefully he'll, he'll get another chance. But you've got, you've got Barini now. You've got, you know, you know, you've got someone that can score some goals, and they might not go back to him. Now, but before before we step before we step to um, talk to Cardick, um, how how much fun was that Seattle Portland game for you guys? I mean, obviously, I'm biased because I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. a Portland fan. Well, uh, from a from a spectator neutral a neutral spectator standpoint, it was fun to watch. But I started having a few old goalkeeping nightmares at bed that night when I went to the sleep. I'm thinking, I might see the first in a few weeks. I don't need to see this. <laughs> this is not what I had in mind. But, 
Yeah, great entertaining match. Uh, all those goals, the fans, of course, are always uh, wonderful there. Uh, wherever you know, wherever they play that Cascadia Cup derby, whether it be Seattle or Portland. So uh, yeah, uh, it, it's it's definitely the kind of game you want to put on a, a DVD or whatever uh, storage device you have and show show people. Whether it be Miami, Atlanta, or wherever, say this is this could be coming to your city. You got come and check this out. Yeah, Stephen, I, I actually I actually turned it on right after right after I finished my show. I had it on, and uh, it was uh, it was very cool to see because again, in some ways it it, it uh, actually showed for me. I'm being honest here. It showed me how far MLS has progressed when you have a match going back and forth like this, and I'm talking about the quality of play. The atmosphere, it, it had everything. And, uh, you know, again, it was nice to see Clint Dempsey's score a hat-trick. I mean, I think, that, I think that, that's great. But, but, but forget about him. Just overall, the spectacle of it is, is a great way to sell the league, honestly. Going back and forth in that atmosphere was just tremendous. And, but it also made me sad at the same time because I don't have that here. So, you know, and, and uh, I see that and I'm like, you know what, it should be like that here. But at least it's somewhere, and it's something that you can build on. Guys, I know you guys have Carter coming on, so I don't want to don't want to stay on for that. I want you guys to enjoy your interview. Plus, I've got got to take care of some things myself. But listen, thanks for letting me uh, join you for a while. Oh, glad to All right, have talk you, to you later. As always. Take it easy, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that was you know, that the was strange thing is don't forget to don't, I just want to give him a plug here. Don't forget to check. Check out uh, Cottage Talk, which is his own podcast on uh, Fulham FC uh, as well. So we're always, uh, we're always grateful to have Russ uh, give a little bit of his time here on our show as well. And Patriots 4th and 2. Now that the, now that the draft is right. coming up, and we have to know exactly where Johnny Football is going because, once again, he, he is Tim Tebow minus Jesus. Well, I just – no, no, he's, he's not Tim Tebow. He's Ryan Leaf, I'm telling you. He's Ryan Leaf 2.0. Mark my words. Especially if the Browns draft him. Of course, I'm not sure if Kevin well, Costner's. Uh, I'm not sure if Kevin Costner's smart enough to draft him. Oh wait, wait, I'm getting dra- I'm getting reality and, and, and movie to mixed up here. <laughs> hey, he could have hey, he could have done any worse. Yeah, he could have done any worse than some of the laughs you guys have had. I mean, my God, no, I do feel sorry yeah. for you being the being the son being the son of a um, Browns fan. I just look back sometimes and go, no. Yeah. But anyway, I, I'm going to pre, I'm going to preview this guy, and I, I, Keith knows this. I, I'm I'm huge into the old NASL, and when I when I started trying to write about it, I was given three names to talk to. I was ta- I was I was ta- told to talk to Cesar Diaz, and because of Cesar, I have this show. I was told to talk talk to Charlie Catone, and we've had him on. I don't know. Have I had him on with you? I don't think so. Okay, well, I, I got I got to talk to Charlie again, and the other one was uh, Carter Kashnier. He he's was the man behind EPL Talk and MLS Talk. Now he's back to doing back to doing World Soccer Talk. He also is in the political scene in Florida, and he he was the, he was the communications manager, I think, with Fort Lauderdale and with the with the NASL. But he's written a book on Manchester City and. Being cool, uh, being cool to be a Man City fan, and I wanted to bring him on because I, I kind of like talking to authors. And as Ruben Tish outroed me last week, uh, outroed me last week, he said, 
outroed me last week. This is that was Stephen Brand. I think he writes for everything. So I'm gonna um, see if do it, which is which is funny. There's about five sites that I. Hopefully it works this time. Hello. Oh, hello, Carter. Hello, it's Carter. Stephen Brand. At, hey. Yeah. Can you can you guys can you guys hear me? Yes, yes we I can. can hear you guys. Perfect. Fantastic. Well, well, welcome to the show, Cardick. I wanted to have you on about your book because I listened to I listened to your show, um, World Soccer Talk on Sports Byline, and I wanted I wanted you to get an I wanted people to hear about your your book, um, Blue with Envy, because I think it's actually a really cool subject. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I think even though the theme is obviously Manchester City, Blue with Envy, uh, and there's a lot of city history and, and personal history of Manchester City in the book, the, the elements of uh, the entire journey that those of us have made that are soccer fans in the United States that, are, that were fans of the Old North American Soccer League, uh, fans of English football, and then also uh, obviously fans of Major League Soccer and, and, and our domestic league, lower division domestic league company now, uh, can relate to. A lot of... Uh, uh, just how difficult it was uh, to stay in touch with the sport after the NASL folded and, um, and and go from there. I mean, I think it was uh, a, a very uh, a very difficult time for a lot of us that were uh, that had grown to love this sport and uh, kind of take a, a, a walk through those turns, that journey where um, the dark ages. I know everybody refers to 1984, not everybody, but a lot of people 1984 through uh, 90s. Are really nice and we hope the ball stuff uh, as the dark, the dark ages, and just that era where uh, only the hardcore committed soccer fans were following the sport. And talk a little bit about that as well. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's you know, for my I'm probably a little bit older than you, Cardiff, but I, I my first exposure to the game was in the mid 70s uh, with public television here in the United States. Uh, showed Soccer Mate Germany, if you everybody remembers the, the legendary common, British commentator Toby Charles. And that was kind of my first exposure to the game. It's why I support Bayern Munich, because they were on just about every week. This was during their, their heyday in the mid-70s as well, when they had, when they had uh, you know, Muller, Breitner, and, uh, and uh, uh, Beckenbauer, uh, Jean-Marie Pfaff, all those great players back in those days. And But, you know, I really got serious, and I, I would go – occasionally to see the American Soccer League's Cleveland Cobras, partially because they play just two miles away from where I live. But for me, it really kind of got serious in the original major indoor soccer league, and that was kind of leading into issues to what, what Steve and I have referred to as that lost generation, you know, that 10 yeah. to 15-year period like from 1980 through 1995. And it's where I, it's during the end of that time when I started working in the game, you know, I, was, I did not pay a whole lot of attention to the rest of the world back in, in, in the late, it wasn't until the early 90s uh, when uh, things were changing in terms of, you know, the, the, the internet and things like that, that I started getting on board with more of the, the world game. You know, what was it like, you know, being a fan back in, in those days um, as far as, you know, following the world game is concerned, you know, that period from like 1980 through 1995 when you didn't, Especially the early part, it didn't have an internet. You had to really 
it was harder to follow. What, what was it like back uh, for someone like you who wanted to follow the world game but had a hard time doing so? Well, a couple, couple things. I mean, it was. Uh, uh, I, I think the the one thing we could get regularly, or two things actually, were were uh, Soccer America and Soccer Digest. Soccer Digest became MISL heavy, became indoor game heavy after the NASL had folded uh, in 1984. Uh, it was already kind of going that way. That, that was the way things were, were moving. Soccer America followed a lot of uh, the, the college soccer scene and, and, and the lower division professional outdoor leagues in the United States. And, and uh, um, it would, would run results from Europe uh, occasionally. So those were the two things you could get in the mail. Uh, what I ended up having to do was have my, my parents, I was still, I was still a, a, young, uh, a, a young kid then, I was still I was a teenager, um, uh, part of that period, uh, drive me to the former newsstand that we had in Coral Springs, Florida, and, um, and, and find these papers and uh, uh, magazines that had come from, from, from Europe and come from England. Uh, sometimes two, three, four weeks uh, late to check the table out, to check out uh, stories. I mean, generally, uh, the, the the newspapers, the local newspapers, about Florida, Miami Herald, and, and Florida News, Florida uh, News, Professional, would run the, uh, the table at least in the English first division and the German first division. Uh, and I think it owes to Toby Charles uh, soccer made in Germany, and then also uh, England. Uh, the number of English players who come to the NASL and the obvious times they would run that maybe once a week, and uh, it might even be a week behind. It might have been the table from the previous weekend. Uh, so you had some sense of where your team was positioned. Uh, you really didn't know much about who played for those teams, and in a, in a lot of cases, um, we would have to wait till some of those players gravitated to our lower division professional league. Um, a guy named Steve Kinsey came played for football or played for the APSL, played for Kansas State Rowdy for the APSL, uh, the Orlando Lions couple of teams here in Florida, also played indoor uh, with a couple of teams. Uh, that um, was a big star for Manchester City in that period, but I never really got to see him play. I, I, I kind of knew the name that was it until he came over here in 1989. So it was a tough period, and, and, I, and I think uh, it's important that younger fans realize uh, kind of what we went through. And, and uh, uh, even indoor soccer, even the MISL, it, it had a boom, uh, and it, and then kind of a plus. I mean, some markets, Cleveland was very strong, Baltimore was very strong, uh, Milwaukee at times. But in general, it kind of went downhill, uh, even out in the late 80s. No, Curtis, I've always said that the, the, the success of the MISL, now that I look back, was really kind of a, a you know, I, as much as I hate to borrow from the Cosmos, it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It came at a rather unique time not just in the soccer landscape, but even in the sports landscape. The NBA was only starting to see its phenomenal rise that we saw through the 1980s and the 1990s because it was, it was only a right. few years into when Magic Johnson and Larry Bird had joined the NBA. Michael Jordan was still a few years down the road yet. The NHL was not what it was today. Certainly they were now not nearly as many places as they were back then. In fact, and this is the one that if you tell this to a 30-year-old person, that they would just absolutely not believe it until they went and looked it up on Wikipedia. The Sacramento Kings of the NBA, before they were Sacramento, they were in Kansas City as the Kansas City Kings. Well, they were the Kansas City Omaha Kings for a few years, but they were the Kansas City Kings at the end. And the Kansas City Comets were so successful in those early 1980s, it was a major factor in the team relocating 
to Sacramento. I mean, think about it. An indoor soccer team drove and helped drive an NBA team out of town. Again, you tell anybody, tell a thirty-year-old that they're not going to believe. It, it, it was just, it was just a, such a unique time in terms. I of, believe it, of and soccer. I'm thirty. Yeah, yeah I, I, would, I would, I would also, okay. I would actually also uh, uh, mirror that point. Bullets had already moved to Washington when the Blast became uh, very popular when the MIFL kind of exploded yes. popularity, but. Um, the um, the Bullets would try in those days to have some games in Baltimore. They still had three right. to five home games in Baltimore. Like Boston, the Celtics played three or five home, three to five home games in Hartford. You remember? And um, yes. I remember talking to people about how those games never caught on to the point where the Bullets just uh, uh, they played everything at the Cap Center. That from that point on, because of uh, the popularity of uh, of the Blast, that the Blast had essentially taken the market when the Bullets moved. Right, because I remember the you know, I remember going to many many blast games uh, at the the fabulous Baltimore Arena, which is where the Bullets had played for a long time. Right, and, uh, right, and yeah, they, they they you know there were a couple of teams in Kansas City they, they would play a few games in Omaha and then the Celtics did this sort of thing too, but uh, yeah, yeah they had pretty much largely moved on. But you're 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 right. The few times the Bullets would play those games there. They couldn't get very good dates to blast because they're so successful. Were able to claim all the primo dates for themselves. Yeah, um, and and I think that a lot of folks uh, of this generation, thirty and under, as you mentioned, don't don't realize how popular indoor soccer was. Still, don't realize how popular the NASL was. Uh, I, mean, I remember 1980, uh, the NBA Finals being on tape delay on CBS. Yes. But, uh, yes. Uh, there were uh, there were NASL games on, you know, generally Cosmos games. Let's be honest. I mean, it was uh, it, it was uh, a phenomenon based around. Yes, yeah. right. Nineteen eighty was the nineteen eighty was the first year of ABC's contract with the NASL. Yeah, right. And uh, they showed a weekly game, which um, you know, there were people like Lee Stern, uh, Chicago uh, Sting owner, who like that wasn't executed well by by ABC. I I, I don't know um, how, my commentary on that, but. Um, the, the, the fact is, the NASL was very, very popular at one point, and I and uh, you had so many uh, top European stars, and this was the thing that I think um, kind of jaded us, uh, and, and, and was unfair, unfair standard for MLS when, when MLS started. Uh, you had so many top European stars come to the NASL, because it was pre the Bosman Bosman ruling, pre the European Union uh, really being the consolidated uh, labor uh, labor pool that um, we had access to players uh, in the United States that we don't have access to now. I mean, uh, the only way we have access to some players we get, we would, that we got in the NFL days would be to spend Real Madrid or Barcelona and spend money, and, and uh, um, the MLS is not in a position to do that. The NASL was in a position to, to do that uh, partly because of the labor restrictions. Yeah, and the other thing, no. the, the, the point of, you talk about the popularity of the league, I think that while, yeah, you could look at attendance figures and certainly the, the Cosmos skewed that a little bit, especially the late yeah. 70s period when they were drawing 50, 60, 70,000 people to the Meadowlands. And yet mistakes were made in, in terms of expansion. Television, you go back and look at the Once in a Lifetime film, I can't remember who it was, but the gentleman who talked about the TV deal who was part of the committee, he, he, what he said should have been done, which was they should have just gone with a weekly highlights package with features and yeah. things like that and only show the, the final live on television, which probably would have been better in terms of 
not only uh, you know, from just drawing the viewers, drawing the viewers who want to see all the games, but also in terms of educating the public. But I think to me, the proof of the popularity and more of the point, the impact of the of the NASL is what happened later. And so you you look at the people who formed the national team in 1990. Those kids had all seen the NASL. Some of them probably even went to some NASL camps. The one five toy points out the the one thing that makes the connection clear. When Franz Beckenbauer signed by the Cosmos, when he came to LaGuardia Airport, he got a local team from, I'm not sure it was Long Island, New Jersey, to go out there and greet him. One of the players on that team, that youth team, was Mike Windischmann, who was the captain of the 1990 World Cup team. It was the impact. Yeah, he was actually holding the ball with Beckenbauer. Yeah, he was actually. It was the kids. Yeah, it was the kids who eventually became the players that we now see, that we saw in the early days of MLS, where you could see where it was popular, because you, uh, you obviously, when you ha- obviously the, that first boom of American youth, youth playing soccer that we saw in the 1970s and even the 1980s, that obviously became for what we later saw in the national team, which, and of course, later on led to the you know, players who go uh, into MLS. So it's, you know, the popularity was met with, to me was not just in terms of, of ticket sales, uh, and that that to me makes you know, makes the the legacy of the NASL even more important. In spite of the fact that yeah, some things were clearly done wrong, there's no question about that. Certainly, the Cosmos skewed things out of whack and from a financial standpoint for the other TVs. Yes, they went to places they never should have gone to as far as expansion franchise is concerned. But you know, the NASL. Did you know, MLS would not be here if it wasn't for the NASL? It's it's that it's that simple. I know there there oh, are yeah, people what yeah. there are people one in California who we talk we've had on the show for who say that's a bunch of rubbish, but it's not. It, it's that simple. It's it's the NASL. I don't know how about the bunch of rubbish. Did they, did, did they? I mean, people who say that um, don't realize where soccer was in this country in the late 1960s yeah. when the NASL started. It was sure. a sport just played by ethnic kids, first-generation ethnic kids in uh, in ethnic neighborhoods of, uh, of New York and St. Louis. That, that's all it was. That's, let's be honest about it. And um, right. there was there, there, uh, the, the days of the ASL in the 1920s and 1930s, the factory teams, all of that had died with the Great Depression. So um, it, it was a sport that had been irrelevant in the country for 30-some-odd years, it, there was no youth soccer, organized youth soccer being played anywhere in this country. Uh, there was no uh, knowledge of the sport. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a common thing among MLS people, and, and, and you know, God bless MLS, all the, all the good things they've done. But it's been this theme. I, I think they're beginning to get away from it, thankfully. But uh, this, this sort of desire to marginalize the importance of the NAS, desire initially when they started the league to not hire people who had been involved in the NASL and this desire to, to brandish the NASL as a failure, um, all of which is just uh, absurd. It's just, it's, the facts don't bear it out. And uh, uh, the NASL might have been a failure in the sense the league eventually collapsed, but the league was very, very strong for a long period of time. Um, and they created the infrastructure and elements for the success that the league had going forward. Exactly. That's the sports out of the country. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and it, 
the, the other thing that people don't understand about the old NASL is that there are, there are people that are watching the sport that watching the sport because of it. I mean, I'm 35 years old. I shouldn't re- really remember the old NESL. I mean, I lived in Rochester. But, yeah, I, yet I still remember it quite well. And, heck, I've been writing about it since, God, since 2004. I mean, on and off. I mean, Keith could attest to how much we've talked about it and how many times, how many articles he's read of mine that I've written, well, mostly on the Cosmos and started, starting on the um, Strikers. Oh, Tardik, I, what I know on I know on your um, on your show you, you talked about how you became a Man City fan. Can you, can you tell our listeners what, what? I mean, it's not it's not at that time the easiest thing to do is to find a team. I mean, where how how did you develop the love of Man City that you have now? Oh, the, the, it, it, it's uh, this was the advantage of being in an NFL city, and, and uh, you know this from from Rochester. The Lancers were very strong for a number of years. Um, you would get top European teams to play friendly. Now you get that with MLS also, but for a long time, um, the NASL teams were considered uh, really good competitive matches for for English first division teams, uh, and, uh, and and there was this Cosmos. There was this. Um, Romanticism of the Cosmos, actually, in uh, in in, in uh, uh, and, and so uh, anything NASL related was very very uh, positive at the time. Um, and so Manchester City came; uh, they came to play the Cosmos in 1980 in the Inter-American Cup. I do not remember that, quite frankly, um, because some people have asked me since, "Oh, did you become a, a Man City fan?" That no, I didn't. What what happened was. They came to Florida for two games in 1983, uh, and they were games involving uh, uh, the two Florida clubs, uh, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, two Florida NASL clubs, Tampa Bay Rowdies and, and the Full uh, uh, Arnold Strikers. It was a, a tournament sponsored by Pan Am, uh, Pan, Pan American Airways. And uh, it was a very, very, uh, um, very, very uh, uh, interesting time because I had become a ball boy for the team. Now, I had been going to the games for a couple of years. My parents had been keeping ticket holders. All their friends went to the games. And, um, you know, the thing in those days was if you, if you lived where we did in Broward County, uh, in order to go to a sporting event, which wasn't a soccer event, a big-time sporting event, you had to drive to Miami. We didn't have uh, an NHL team there locally yet. And it was a much more kind of community-oriented place. It wasn't as transient as it is now. So um, the strikers were a big thing. And, um, I became a ball boy for the 1983 season. And um, the first game, the second game I got to be a ball boy for was against Manchester City. Um, and I, and I kind of liked their uniforms. Um, I liked what I saw from the team um, in, in general. Uh, but I, I have to admit that after that, I didn't have uh, the relationship with the, uh, with the team because of the lack of exposure until 1990, when I uh, had remembered how much I liked the city and, and uh, to try and uh, try and uh, uh, you know, just kind of get some sort of passing knowledge of what was going on in, in, in the British game. And um, it was also a World Cup year, and there were some players in the city that were that were interesting and compelling that I liked. So, um, but prior to that, it was uh, it was really that game against the Strikers that put them on my radar. I can't say I became a huge fan until 1990. Um, so I've been a, a pretty big fan for now, almost 25 years. But um, my, my fandom does date back to 1983, or at least the, the, 
for reasons I became a fan. Now, now, has it been interesting for you to be being a fan as long as you have to see the explosion of the game that there are supporter groups for Man City? So there, there's there's Watford supporter groups in the states. For coming from where you when you started this journey as a as a soccer fan to now, I mean, what has this meant? To, I mean, what what have you seen that what have you seen in it that really impresses you? Um, I think it's a, uh, it's a very, very, uh, um, it's, it's incredible, the supporters' culture and supporters, uh, um, you know, uh, just, just, just the interest that's grown in the sport in general. And I think it's, it's amazing to me what's happened in general with, uh, with, um, um, the interest among young people in not just the sport itself and watching the sport, but the culture of football and um, getting interested in starting supporters groups and, and being original with chance, being uh, very European in that sense, but not being so European that uh, there's no authenticity to it, not being simply copycats of, of, of European football. I, I mean, I think it's it's just very special and powerful what's going on. Yeah, that's no, what I mean by your book. It's, it's, yeah. Go ahead. Um, you, you, can, you can buy my book uh, at Amazon.com. Uh, you can buy it at BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, you can buy it at, um, you can, uh, uh, at iBooks uh, if, you, if you have an Apple device or an Apple iOS device. And um, I think that there's um, also some other sites uh, – the third-party sellers and such, uh, uh, Smashwords, I think, is one where you can download the books for different formats, uh, electronic formats, uh, or, for other other uh, devices like the Kobo and uh, uh, maybe the Sony e-reader, among others. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's widely available, and I, I've actually been um, touched by the amount of people who downloaded the book and told me they like it. I, I really, quite frankly, didn't know what to expect. And... Uh, have been a little bit overwhelmed by that. So, um, but it's, it's readily available and, and uh, 4.99. So uh, it, it, it's not too expensive, not too pricey, and it's a uh, it's a pretty quick read. It's uh, um, it's not that short, but it is a it is a book that you can get through pretty quickly and, and um, kind of moves along very well. At least I hope. Yeah, I know if you were, you may you may we, we know if you were about. Go ahead. Okay, so Carter, you made a great Go point, on, I think, that you made, to me illustrates the biggest difference between the MLS and the NASL, and that's the supporters' culture. You didn't see what you see today. You know, you saw, you know, the, the, you, you saw in the crowds especially, it was, you know, they, were, uh, you know, they were your standard issue American sports crowds. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, people, when I, you know, when, you see, when people I know who don't watch soccer, they see soccer games, and when it dawns on them that all the noise they're hearing for inside the stadium is purely fan-generated, that the fans right. are the ones see, there's no video board telling them what to do. That, that this wasn't like that in the NASL, but we're seeing that now. And to me, that's, that's been, you know, from an you know, off-the-field perspective, that's been the biggest thing 
uh, in my mind, is that the, the people MLS, the, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you, know, you can see this stuff online all over the world now, but you know, people have taken this culture to heart uh, for their team, and we're starting to see it move into other sports. Uh, scarf, finding team scarves in other sports is not hard anymore. You, you didn't, even five years ago, you couldn't say that. But now you get team scarves in all the major sports. They're life again. You see in Columbus, a number of people who are in some of the different supporters groups that formed the Rodeca during the winter decided to get together and form a group called the Arch City Army. Columbus used to have a lot of arch bridges, buildings and structures and bridges. It was called the Arch City back in the uh, middle of the 20th century. And they go to Blue Jackets games and do some of the same things that you see at the Columbus Crew Games. And that, that's, to me, that's been the biggest off the field impact of of the of MLS because you know from a culture from a pop culture standpoint soccer was pretty much accepted you saw in commercials a lot of time and everything like that but now you see what goes on in the fan the hardcore fan base spread to the other sports yeah and uh, the scarf thing is, is that's a great point I mean I think it's really interesting that we see so many scarves uh, in other sports and people holding up scarves. At other sporting events, it's uh, it's something that came from this sport. It was never penetrated American sports before, and uh, and it was really uh, it was really something that I think got exported by the supporters culture in the last uh, decade or even in the last five years. Um, and so that's uh, that's that's a whole new element. And I think as the supporters culture grows in, in American soccer you're going to see more and more things that resemble uh, the supporters, uh, more and more parts of the supporters' culture integrated into uh, uh, American sports and maybe even some hybrids where there are customs of American sports that are replicated in, uh, in uh, European football. Now, Cardiff, where, where can we find you if we want to read? Because I, I know you're, you're actually a pretty prolific writer on your blogs. Where, where can we find you if we want to read, read more of your stuff? Yeah, worldsoccertalk.com is, is, is the place you'll find me most frequently, and you can also go to, uh, um, to Twitter, at KKFLA737, which uh, 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 activity kind of goes in frenzy. Uh, uh, you, you know, I can post uh, 100... Uh, I just tweet today and then uh, be busy and occupied with something else and not tweet at all. So uh, it's not consistent. It, it's kind of random, but it's uh, it, it's there. And then you know all my details are kind of put on Twitter at some point. Well, I, I want to thank you, Cardiff, for ha- for being on. And please go buy go go buy his book. I want this to be the best, biggest selling book of the ne- of the next month. That's Cardiff Cashnire of World Soccer Talk and Blue with Envy. Okay, Keith, you're still on. Good. I almost hung up on yes, you on that one, but yeah. Okay, good. Well, that 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 was that was someone I wanted to have on for a while because I mean we haven't done our monthly. Let's talk I'm about the old 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 sport for a while, old sport for a while. Because, and one of the things you guys said in there is talking about um, how thirty year olds don't know how big the old M- MISL is, and I I have to. I have to take myself out of the out of that conversation a lot because people come at it's funny and I don't know if you get this now is that people get people come up to me because I, I'm kind of known for being a soccer fan. Hell, I'm wearing a I'm wearing a jersey right now. 
go figure. And people people question if you really know the sport, if you really know the history of it. And I, I, I have to distance myself because I'm not the typical 35-year-old soccer fan that, I mean, I, I'm writing for a Wolverhampton magazine. I mean, how I mean, you're not. I don't, you're get, I don't get it very often. Uh, and part part of it is you know, the, you know people who know me realize I you know I know the game and stuff like that. And uh, but, but you point out something interesting there. It's that you, you sometimes and I I don't know how it's changed a little bit. But I remember the early days of the the uh, of MLS with the supporters clubs that came on. You. And, and we've seen this in I know we've seen Columbus, I don't know about the other places, but it was more about being a fan of the club than necessarily of the game. Because I remember like in uh, 2000, 2001, go to a crew game, and when I told them I'd worked in indoor soccer, I got looks like I've just been dropped down from Mars or something. It's, it's, you were dealing with a lot of people. In the early days of MLS, at least in Columbus, a lot of people who, for them, the, Soccer was about the crew and the national team, and that was it. That, that was, they were fans of the crew and the national team. They weren't necessarily fans of the game. You know, the other levels, whether it be professional, college, or indoor, whatever, it, it, they didn't exist. It's not like they looked down, but they just didn't acknowledge they were even there. And I'm sure some of it's certainly a lot of, of a large majority of crew fans, I'd be willing to bet, follow at least one European club, but... You know, whether or not there, there's an inch, I don't know what the interest level is in the heart of these in the supporters groups, especially in terms of the other levels of the game. And um, I wish I wish I could uh, conduct a survey on that because that's something. Yeah, because I remember the '80s when we saw the the '80s when we saw the big sports merchandise explosion, and you see people wearing all these popular team stuff, and they couldn't name you three players on the team, or in some cases couldn't even name you what sport they played. But they had to have that starter jacket because it was cool. So you know, I I don't think that's as much a thing in the soccer world, uh, with the exception taking celebrities out of the equation, of course. Sure. Well, we're, we're coming up on the last thirty seconds of the show. I want to welcome. Well, I want to um, welcome. Well, I'm glad that Cardick came on, and I'm glad that Russ came on. Next week, hopefully, we have Carly Lloyd in the last half, and hopefully next week we have something more to talk about other than Chelsea and man you going through. Anyway, this is Stephen Brandt signing off. If you want to get a hold of us, go, go on Twitter to Yellow Carded Pot on Twitter and Kinda on Twitter. I'm Stephen Brandt. I'll talk to you later. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.